Hey, Jordan, how's it going? Hello, Rob. I'm doing well. I'm, I'm just hanging out. <laughs> How are you? Oh, it's it's going well. It's going good. Thanks for asking. Uh, so you're back, obviously, from moving here. So I guess I just had a question for you, and I was just wondering, do you think that I've been doing a really good job uh, hosting the show by myself? <laughs> yeah. Oh, you do? Fantastic. So you think maybe it's it's in the best interest for everyone if I maybe take more of the the Substack subscription money and pocket that because because of how important and vital I am to the the voice of the show is that what you're saying wow <laughs> uh yeah yeah oh good well thank you that's very kind of you I wasn't expecting this so this is really this is really wonderful okay I'm not I'm not, <laughs> not doing this bit any longer I'm not going to carry on with this big bit I'm already biting off way more than I can chew here Jordan's still not here that was just some audio trickery that you just heard a little bit of audio magic uh, that I that I cobbled together using my producer skills uh, Jordan is still moving um, he should be back for the next episode uh, which should come out uh, probably on Tuesday. So that should be great stuff, folks. It is just Rob here by myself again, but I've got a fantastic guest again today. It's Luke O'Neill. Luke O'Neill, the author of uh, Welcome to Hellworld on Substack, also the author of a brand new collection of short fiction, A Creature Wanting Form. Really great writer, great guy, and we had a fantastic conversation today that I think you're really going to like. And you know what? This episode's already late, so I think I would like to get to that soon except oh fuck it just it doesn't feel right it doesn't feel right to just immediately go to that what let's see what can i talk about well that's one of the reasons that this podcast is late right now uh it's coming out a couple days later than i had planned one of the main reasons because i had to bring my cat to the vet i'd kind of had an emergency vet situation come up over the last couple of days that i had to deal with which cut down on the amount of time that i had to spend on working on this podcast and uh you know i brought i brought momo to the vet there and the vet told me um you know he said well look she's not only is she orange but she's also full of crap and uh that that if you ask me that reminds me of a certain former president <laughs> so he's also he's also orange and full of crap donald trump in case you were, in case that was lost on anyone, that's all. That's all for the intro, folks. That's all I've got. The episode's already late, so let's get to Luke O'Neill. Let's get this thing out. I know the insurgents audience, the loyal listeners are are hooting and hollering for a new episodes. So I want to give it to you. So let's bring on Luke O'Neill. Again, another great talk. I think you're going to love it. I sure did. And Luke O'Neill is going to be joining the show right after this. So, um, so we're fading into the, the music now. I always have the hardest time with this part, especially when I'm by myself, because like Jordan is moving to LA right now. That's why I'm hosting the pod uh, by myself. But you got to kind of manufacture a bit of sort of chit chat um, uh, at the beginning. He's he's gone Hollywood, huh? Finally, he is. Yeah, Hollywood Jorby, we're calling him. 
he's gonna come back he's gonna grow the beard like like hogan <laughs> yeah, and yeah. start to have this attitude <laughs> he's yeah. uh well i hope he doesn't catch the the woke mind virus when he's out there yeah that would be that would be devastating i call it uh holly weird little little oh wow yeah okay i do yeah interesting i'm gonna remember that one yeah you, you can use uh, it yeah um well how about like you know sometimes you do a little sports chat on here do you ever do you ever like have a sense of like being self-conscious i know you're like a new england guy a boston guy Mm -hmm. do you have any kind of like sense of self-consciousness when it comes to sports and being part of a a a lumping of a fandom of a number of different sports franchises that has a kind of like negative perception not for me of course yeah yeah no uh, for others oh it's funny that you mentioned that i just read the um you know why your team sucks series on defector that that drew does and today was the the Patriots won. And I remember I used to like to read that series, but I was always annoyed that I had to wait so long for the Patriots one to come out because, you know, it went like in reverse order from the worst record to the best. And so the Patriots was always always one of the last ones. And this one came a little bit early this year. Um, so I was, uh, you know, the thing is I'm a long-suffering New England Patriots fan. You know, we haven't uh, had yeah. any success in like four years. And, I'm uh, so sorry to hear that. Yeah. Um, no, I, yeah, I don't. I mean, I obviously, obviously, you know, New uh, New England and Boston sports fans uh, have a have a pretty bad rap, and a lot of times for good reason. You know, um, I'm not necessarily convinced that we're any worse than a lot of the other right. stereotypical, um, you know, fans. It's like. It's like the same when people always point out how that Boston is a racist city, and sure enough, it it sure is. But I always, I'm like, well, yeah, but compared to where, you know? Yeah, this is not a unique American experience right, or Canadian, right? So, like, um, you know, Boston's fans are obnoxious and entitled and whiny, um, except for me. I'm one of the good ones. Yeah. I remember I always had kind of a soft spot for the the Patriots. I'm not a huge football fan, but I kind of pay attention to what's going on. And even when the Patriots were in that kind of perpetual dynasty mode, like when I was growing up in the '90s, they were just always they were just a joke uh, for yeah, years for and sure. years and years. So I always kind of had a soft spot for them because it it kind of gave me a glimmer of hope. If you think if you're a fan of like a long suffering franchise, it shows that that sometimes if the right the right uh, circumstances or chain of events comes along you might actually be able to experience happiness right. a lot of sports fans don't ever don't ever get to feel that feeling you no, know it's, it, it must be kind of nice and and then then there's the other thing like if you don't get that success you get uh to complain all the time which is almost as good you yeah. know like yeah um like when the when the celtics were on their playoff run this year like i didn't really have any hope that we we're going to win it all i just didn't think the, you know, the way the team was comprised was enough to put them over the edge. But I was like, you know, if they lose, at least I can be fucking pissed off all the time. Yeah. You know? So. Yeah. We always need more excuses for that. I know. I spent a little bit too much time being pissed off. I don't know. I yeah. think that's probably like my reputation is uh, I'm pissed off all the time. It's not. I'm joking. Obviously, I, I'm a normal person who experiences a full range of emotions. <laughs> <laughs> Although I guess the fact that you have to clarify that is probably isn't a good sign. 
Yeah. Well, there's a lot to be angry about. You know, it's like I think people that are just going floating through life right now, feeling great and totally balanced and not angry and upset all the time. I think like it's, what's what's going on with you? Like it's almost, you know, it's like I don't trust them. Yeah. There's like really a whole lot to be feel bad about right now. Yeah. Yeah. There really is. I. Uh... <sighs> I mean, I, I just was looking at you know the situation in Hawaii. Uh, that yeah. they said there like might be like up to a thousand people missing. It's it's insane, you know. And then it's like horrific, yeah. Yeah, and the, I don't know. I mean, I think the condition of being alive is that you have to constantly experiencing cognitive dissonance, you know, or else like we would go insane, you know. You can't hold, uh, the, you know, the breadth and scope of of you know American tragedy or you know around the world in your head at all at once or you know it would be like overwhelming you know yeah. um <clears throat> which is you know with hell world uh my newsletter uh this is why i've always tried to sort of um balance balance it out with you know one by trying to make it funny and two like you know because who who wants to read like here's the worst shit you've ever heard of happening in the country today you know yeah for very long that's all we we spend all day doing that right yeah. right um and you know i've always sort of done this but lately i've been kind of trying to do a little bit more like pop culture pieces to break it up like you know today we i asked a bunch of people to do their uh top five rem songs of all time and, and write about them and uh it was it's a ton of fun there's a lot of great uh great writing on one of my favorite bands and you know we did like a did the rev uh we ran like a review of that uh cheeto what was it that hot cheeto movie that came out a couple a month or two yeah ago. yeah um we had vince mancini write that one who's a great uh uh film critic and um you know it's just uh you, you know you you need i don't know you can't just be pissed off all the time is the point you know yeah yeah absolutely and you know you mentioned the the music and um you know i know you've you've got a long history of like both being involved in music and listening to it and writing about it and thinking about it i saw another piece on uh hell world recently where you talked about the you're ranking the top five weezer songs yeah yeah number of people yeah doing that. so i guess this is like I don't know, maybe this is going to be like a thing I'll do every couple of months. We did, you know, Top 5 Weezer, um, and that was great. We had, you know, I had a lot of great musicians like uh, Steve from Pop and, uh, you know, members of the band yep. Pool Kids, uh, Thursday, a whole bunch of bands like that, and then mixed in with some great writers. Um, but, yeah, that one, that one was fun. I mean, R.E.M. is my favorite band of all time, I think. They were, like... I wrote in the piece they they i think they were pretty sure they were my first like favorite band you know and yeah. you know 30 years later or whatever it is i guess it's like you go you have different favorite bands you know when you when you're growing up and i could could have made an argument for the smiths um you know but you know you, certainly uh morrissey is is kind of um dampened uh a lot of people's enthusiasm yeah, yeah. for that for their uh not for the music the music i still love but you know he's just such a fucking prick that uh, <laughs> yeah and uh you know i probably could have said oasis at some point or um i definitely i am definitely i'm extremely in my mid-40s with all those picks but that's okay sure yeah that's I how know it, the feeling. that's how it is 
Well, even like you mentioned, you know, the Smiths and feeling weird and conflicted about that. I think it's, it's, you have those same feelings of being conflicted, being a Weezer guy as well. Right. Whereas like you become, I became a Weezer guy, like in the, in the, in the nineties, like when they started out and there was that gap between Pinkerton and green album, when it, it felt like this, unique special beautiful thing that not really that many people knew about right and then over time it's become this big kind of like machine basically yeah um and has all kinds of weird conflicting feelings when you look back on some of the the lyrical content and the way that that's like inspired people maybe sometimes in sort of a negative direction or so it's you end up being a weird feeling being a weezer guy you know it's you can't move away from it like rivers rivers literally wakes up every day and like clocks in at the songwriting factory you know yeah exactly and he does he does treat it like like in a lot of ways like automated you know uh like putting a car together like getting yeah it's like a human algorithm at this point basically but that's what's weird about them and i think I assume you do too. Me like the stuff that they still put out a couple of songs on every album that reminds you of like, oh yeah, this is what this guy's actually sounds like when he's being yeah. real and emotional. Which is you know why everyone has always wanted them to write Pinkerton Part Two. You know the although some of the albums are, are kind of like that. The white yeah, Al- they kind of did that with Maladroit. Yeah, a yeah, little bit. and uh, the white album has got a lot of Pinkerton kind of stuff on there. Um, but yeah, the, yeah, the, the, some of the lyrics, in the, especially on Pinkerton, are, are range from either cringy or you know seriously uh, questionable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's not like you know the history of rock and roll is actually like that sort of stuff isn't you know he didn't invent it you know so. Yeah. No. Of course. Of course. And but I was. It's also, Look at me was like sticking up for Weezer. Yeah. I'm like getting defensive. Well, you have to. I mean, <laughs> yeah. that's the thing. You can just you can just pretend that that was like you know talking about me personally. I can just pretend that listening to Weezer, being a fan of Weezer, wasn't like a big part of my like teenage and years and early twenties and a big part of my identity for a long time. I can pretend that that didn't happen, but that that would be not being honest with right. people. You right. Know? Right. Speaking of being honest, the the big. The main character of Twitter today. Did you see this guy who posted his yearly the DoorDash, uh, DoorDash guy? Yeah. yeah, and it's kind of a well, well. It's funny in a way because one, he was responding to something about people, you know, living on forty thousand dollars a year in, in Nashville or something, and he's like, "How does anyone possibly live on forty thousand dollars a year? I spent twenty five thousand dollars alone on DoorDash." And it's brilliant because even just saying that about how much you spend on DoorDash would be terrible on its own. But like the fact that he also seems to think that people don't live on $40,000 and under, it's, and then it turns out this guy seems like he's actually evil. I don't know if you saw the, (laughs) I didn't see any of the follow-ups. Yeah. He, uh, apparently he's like got, got arrested for uh, wage theft from his employees and the thing that he does on his website is he runs every single mugshot of everyone who gets arrested and then uh, shakes the people down for 150 bucks each to take the, take the <laughs> mugshot off his website. Oh, that's, that's evil, evil. That's literally evil, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, so I don't, I don't know when this is going to come out, but this is probably going to be like, you know, ancient history by the time the, the oh it's actually going to come out later today because i'm already late so i got i'm gonna i'm gonna oh, mass okay, produce this one we're, quickly we're, quick we're, turnaround yeah then we're on the then we're right I on was, the bleeding edge here 
I was perplexed by some of the DoorDash decisions. Like he's door dashing Hooters. I like know. I thought the whole appeal of Hooters was like you go there physically. Like is it really the food? Is that great that you gotta I shell out for the this the 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 wage slave right, uh, right. to bring it to you? Like I uh that's a, that's literally was a thirty rock joke. This is like yeah. where they were they wanted to get delivery from Hooters and they were like, Why? And then Pete's like, we'll, we'll know that they touched it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like the wings can't be that good. Like no. they've made really big advancements in air fryer technology. You can go to the grocery store and get a frozen <laughs> right? wing. Do they it's pretty close to restaurant quality, I think, in my opinion. Oh look, it looks like uh Hooters is actually trending now that I'm looking at my Twitter. There we go. Have, yeah. I, I I might have been once and it's not like I um you know, I'm not like virtue signal signaling here but I, I think i only went to hooters like once it's for some reason there was just never one around me so i don't know if the if the food was ever any good or not yeah um, i don't think i've ever been i mean to me it just always seemed kind of weird like if you want to go to a, a an eatery you know there's plenty of options if you want something that's more like highly sexualized there's plenty of options for that as well yeah you know, it's weird. It always seemed like a weird in-between zone for me it's like when I was young and I used to jerk off to the Sarah's catalog, that's because I didn't have, you know, I didn't have. Uh, this is real mid 40s shit now. <laughs> yeah, for yeah. The Zoomers, they don't get this. We used to. It's tough out there. The lengths we used to have to go to in my day. <laughs> yeah. It's the classic you find that old rotting cardboard box full of smut oh, in the yeah. woods. Oh, yeah. What a disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> it's a and it's a very common thing you know it's, it's, I, it's surprisingly like a, common i know it's strange it's yeah. become like a cliche like sort of a hacky reference yeah. but the fact that so many people have that reference it leads me to wonder what was going it's on it's like our version it's like our version of the drinking out of the hose All those <laughs> right. boomers always like we just drink out of the hose right, like that's right. the main thing that they remember from their childhood <laughs> yeah. drinking their leaded water out of the fucking hose all day <laughs> that's right no wonder they're like that <laughs> so listen luke like I don't like on this show, we talk often about like, you know, Biden and Trump and the sort of like political stuff that's going on in the U.S. government. And like, you know, I think it's important to cover that. But I wanted to try and maybe steer clear from that a little bit in this conversation and try to see if we can get at something maybe maybe a little bit deeper, maybe a little bit more interesting. Sure. Um, But one thing I did want to get to predominantly, and I talked a little bit about this in the last episode with uh, Sam Knight, but I wanted to get your uh, input on it as well which is that like the way that there's people like both in the the sort of Biden Biden administration and kind of like their sort of media media loyalists, I Mm -hmm. guess Mm -hmm. that are out there kind of pitching this idea right now about like Bidenomics and kind of saying like, no, actually the economy is going really well. If you look at this number here, the unemployment or this number here that proves that actually things are going really good. And if you think that it's not going good, you're like lying or there's something wrong with you. And it's it strikes me as a really weird and counterproductive way of trying to like uh, talk about your accomplishments. And I, I just wanted to ask you about it, because with with Hell World, like you're really every single day, you know, documenting the sort of average lived experiences of like normal people and, and speaking to people that are going through hard times right. and talking about not able to get dental care or medical care or right. uh, and the various ways that people are really struggling and the way that people's material conditions are really declining right now. Um, so I was just wondering like what you make of that sort of uh, dichotomy with the way that there's trying to put this kind of uh, uh, positive spin 
on how America is doing at the moment versus your experience and your experience, like speaking to people and covering these kinds of stories? Like what, how has that been? Well, I haven't, uh, it's been a, a couple months since I've done a thing where I talk to, you know, tons of people on, on money matters and that sort of thing. So I don't know how people are doing at the moment. Uh, most recently, that would apply to that would certainly be when the uh, the ruling came down about uh, student loans. And, um, you know, I did a piece where I talked to lots of people uh, talking about, you know, what their original balance was of their loan when they took it out and how now for so many people it's even after, you know, 10, 20 years of paying, it's, uh, you know, doubled or, you yeah. know, and... <clears throat> I think that 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 type of, you know, Biden water carrying that you're talking about there happened on that issue as well. You know, like ostensibly, you know, liberal Biden supporters trying to convince people like us that, you know, there was really nothing more that he could do. And and look at how much he did in the first place. And, you know, you should be so grateful that he that he, uh, you know, tried to help at all. And I, I really don't understand that that mindset. Like, who, what are they getting out of it? You know, like, do they really believe it? Like, these sort of centrist Biden supporters, like, uh, are, are they lying to themselves? Or are they, like, trying to convince us all that, like, the reality that we're experiencing isn't real? You know, I mean, obviously, it's a overused term and a joke at this point, but, like, it's... It's gaslighting, right? It's like actually, no, no, you're, you're the fact that you're the, you know, you're eating fucking hot water for dinner. That it tastes really good, doesn't it? Like, doesn't that yeah. hot water soup taste good? <laughs> and uh, I don't know, man. It's just, it's, it's extremely cynical, extremely disheartening, and uh, I, I, I don't know. I wonder how much money you'd have to be you'd make to to be able to tell those sorts of lies yeah and we get we've had a lot of the same thing in in canada as well like we've been living it's been a different sort of a situation you know i've been kind of waiting for our trump moment to come and it hasn't really materialized because we're often like chasing the political trends of the united states but we've been living like under this kind of very like ostensibly sort of progressive liberal uh, uh government now since uh 2015 and it, despite all the kind of like ways that someone like a Trudeau signals about how like progressive they are or signals their support for like LGBTQ plus issues or feminism or, you know, talk using all these kind of words, the reality for the majority of people in this country, too, are also just like getting worse and worse. I think like in Canada, the housing crisis is even is probably as bad as it is anywhere in the world right now. And uh, no one seems to be offering up any answers to that. And similar to what's going on in America, um, when you have these kind of liberals that are overseeing this sort of decline, but trying to put this positive spin on it, and there's no one out there that's really like making a real critique of that, except these like extreme reactionaries who take these very real issues that people are experiencing them and then pull them down this even darker path. Right. That's the the only reason because that that that's been left open by yeah. the left you know it's like even our leftist most leftmost uh you know politicians the meager allotment that we have they 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 can't 
they just can't be that aggressive against Biden. You know, it's just not how it works. There's no, there's no, which, you know, which, which always, you know, leads to the, the shitheads like Tucker Carlson, you know, when people, you know, outflanking the left by criticizing Biden. It's like, well, you know, usually that's bullshit. We know they're lying when they're, when they're saying something that sounds, you know, ostensibly progressive that might actually help people. But uh, we wouldn't have to, you know, people wouldn't make that argument if we actually had a, a, a left that was any, you know, as critical as it needs to be. Yeah. And I think that's the, I mean, that's exactly why that Bernie campaign in both 2015, 16 and, and 2020 resonated with people, not just in America, but around the world who are kind of like looking to America and looking for some kind of a real sort of challenge to that to emerge. Like people often wonder for me, like, why do you care? Like you don't you know, live there. But in a sense, like if you don't, sometimes Americans don't understand this, but we all live in America, like everywhere right. around the world. And we're all kind of like looking to America for some kind of like change to happen. And for a, like this little brief moment, it felt like some kind of real challenge to that endless uh, back and forth between these sort of neoliberals and these blood drinking conservatives. Maybe there was going to be something that could upset that and change that. And that's why I was excited about it and many people around the world were excited about it and it's just been it has been kind of sad and depressing to have that that what felt like this big kind of transformative tidal wave you know right. I always think about Hunter S. Thompson and Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas the moment where you can see the the high water mark where the the wave broke and rolled back and it's been interesting kind of and depressing and sad I looking think, back of the last couple of years and kind of feeling that same sort of sense of uh, of despair about that I mean one thing that you know that, that liberals and, and centrists would, would get our ass with and you know probably right and in calling us like you know bernie bros or whatever and, and ne never getting over any of that shit it's like yeah but i would if someone else emerged that was doing that you know it's like i yeah. I, I i don't like and people weren't excited about burn like he definitely seems like a you know likable cranky old grandfather grandfather figure sure and i like him for those reasons but wasn't like the specific guy that yeah you know it was just like wow somebody's actually saying this stuff um you know so if someone else wants to fill that void i'd be happy to you know have have some sort of enthusiasm for them as well yeah do you um, want to i don't know maybe for the I think maybe for the rest of the podcast, it'd be good if we relitigated uh, 2016 I think to so. 2020. There hasn't been enough of that. I'm <laughs> often thinking, like, we need more of that. Yeah. No, but yeah, I think that is something that I do want to get at. I, not to relitigate anything that has happened, but I think, you know, that when that sense of despair has set in, when you see the, the level of hostility there is to people like Bernie Sanders or anyone that's kind of advocating for this, what amounts to a pretty mild reform of the current system and maybe increasing uh you know people's social benefits like maybe maybe like doing a little bit just to alleviate the the constant fucking the way that people are just being ground into dust by the system and just mm -hmm. offering people a little bit of hope from that and you see the hostility to that that's that's comes from the establishment from the media and from the political class and I think so that that kind of makes me real cynical about the possibility of having any kind of change in the way that our, our systems kind of operate. But then sometimes we tell ourselves, you know, like when people's when people's material conditions continue to just get worse and this decline continues, or if you want to use that kind of Marxist language, the contradictions of capitalism become heightened, you know, maybe people are going to start to change their minds about that. But 
I think that's one thing that I've been kind of noticing a lot and thinking about a lot lately you mentioned the wildfires in hawaii there's been the wildfires in canada of course which led to the the massive amounts of smoke and all kinds of like really serious climate consequences really starting to happen now kind of decades before we were told that they were going to happen heat waves and flooding and this kind of stuff and i think the scary thing is that i'm looking at what these the people that have really devoted themselves to denying that there's any issue are they going to start realizing that they're wrong about that? And I'm realizing, no, they're not, actually. You look at the Hawaii thing, and people are like, well, they're just looking for this conspiratorial angle that can explain away the thing that's happening right in front of their face. Yeah, I saw some... They're talking about some controlled energy beam that that burns Hawaii down and pointing out trees that didn't completely burn to show that it's evidence that they're all trying to force us into 15-minute cities. Which, yes. by the way, I believe we did a piece on Hellworld uh, a couple months ago talking about how that, and I think that, that sort of got kicked off in Canada, didn't it? That whole 15th. Yeah. So, yeah, so thanks for that. that yeah, was, the, the uh, same kind of convoy people. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's... Yeah. Um, because the convoy people in Canada who were against, like, COVID lockdowns and vaccines and stuff just got everything that they wanted. We right. did give up on trying to combat the pandemic. We did give totally give up on trying to force people to wear masks or get a vaccine or do anything at all to stop it. They get everything that they wanted, but they can't... They have this perpetual sense of, like, aggrievement or... Uh, uh, the the like uh, this persecution complex, so they have to then find the next thing, the next angle or the inseam right. that they can use to explain away the way that they're actually the most oppressed people. Right, um, and then they export that around the world. Yeah. So, uh, we did. I did a couple pieces on climate stuff. You know, obviously lately, but you you asked uh, whether or not any of these people are going to admit they were wrong. It was, there's going to be like two different types. There's going to be like the really dug in right wing sickos who you know, we'll just refuse to admit any, anything's happening with climate change. And then there's going to be sort of the, the sensible TV-friendly ones who are going to, like, like F- Frank Luntz, for example. <clears throat> you know, he I, I saw him posting and talking about some story about all the coral reef in Florida is dying because the, the, the ocean is like 100 degrees or something. Yeah. Uh, so, okay, thank you, Frank Luntz, for, uh, for your concern about the climate. But then... <clears throat> If you remember, you know, he was when he was consulting for uh, doing polling consulting for Bush, um, you know, he instructed him. Uh, I've just got the quote here. He, he said, voters believe that there is no consensus about global warming within the scientific community. Should the public come to believe that the scientific issues are settled, their views about global warming will change accordingly. Therefore, you need to continue to make the lack of scientific certainty a primary issue in the debate. And it's like, dude, you are the fucking one who got (laughs) us here. And now you're worried about the climate and you want to be like seen as, you know, actually taking it seriously now. Fuck off. Yeah. And it's it's not just with climate change that these people are looking for these conspiratorial angles. It's like any any of the symptoms that emerge of the kind of terrible sickness that's at the heart of our society where you talk about mass shootings it's the same thing is it is it a possibility that like there's it's just way too easy to get a fucking gun like maybe is that a maybe is that an issue and no matter how much evidence that piles up that yes indeed it is extremely easy to get a gun you look at all the a lot of these like mass shooters fit this exact pattern of like turning 18 years old and immediately legally going to purchase a firearm at a gun show or whatever could that be the problem no 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 that's actually a conspiracy as well 
like people look at the, the Alex Jones, like Sandy Hook thing. Well, yeah, it's the, the Sandy Hook uh, horrifying mass shooting of these little kids. That's, of course, this false flag by the government wants to take away everyone's guns. But when that moment doesn't come and you still have your guns and no one does try to take them away, then like, what is there left, you know? But they still just won't give up on this idea. Yeah, yeah, there's that. And then, you know, well, now, of course, they're all excited that this guy uh, in Utah got, you know, killed by yeah. the FBI because so they can be like, see, I told you so. But, you know, setting aside whether or not I, I certainly would not like to see the FBI raiding people's homes. Um, they completely in the way that the right is talking about this guy, they completely sort of omitted like these were. You know, he's making very specific, <laughs> yeah. accurate. You know, he's like, "Come over here, FBI, and I'll shoot you." Right. It's like, but well. even, even that, there was worse things than that. He's like, you know, <clears throat> when you know, talking about locations where Biden and and uh, uh, the DA there in New York, I forget, uh, were going to be, and uh, you know, I, I again, not a fan of the of the feds raiding people, but I mean that that seems like a that's going to happen that seems like a pretty reasonable uh, case for it right i yeah. guess i guess i just talk myself into loving the cops yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> sorry and ex- except for specific incidences well no it's you know what i don't love the cops either and i don't i agree that uh that's not something that anyone should support but it's similar like they're trying to sanctify this guy the way they've sanctified that lady ashley babbitt who right. got shot at the january 6th uh, uh riot or whatever it was the storming of the capitol or whatever you want to call it and it's the same thing it's like yeah i don't support the cops i don't support the u.s government but my sympathy does run a little low when there's you're trying to get into this room full of filled with a bunch of the most powerful people in the united states right. government and there's men with guns saying like hey stop doing what you're doing and right. you don't stop right. it's like well you know, I can't really, I don't, my, my sympathy is maybe not quite as high as it would be in other cases. Right. Like when the cops are out there shooting kids in the street with, with holding toys or whatever. Right. You know, it's exactly. a little bit different. Yeah. It's a bit of a different scenario. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, um, but yeah, well, but you know, you mentioned, uh, mass shootings a minute ago. Another just reminded me of another piece we did uh, maybe a couple months ago is where, um, I, um, you know, asked a bunch of people to, to, to explain how, how they feel like living under the, this sort of grim specter of sudden gun violence every day, you know, like whether or not people behave differently in their day-to-day lives, even if it's just subtle, you know, in subtle ways. Yeah. And it's weird because, <clears throat> you know, I live in Massachusetts and it is actually different here, you know, like... Uh, we have some of the more stricter gun laws and, you know, uh, much lower gun uh, rate deaths uh, per 100,000 people, like, at the bottom, you know, of the entire country. Um, So I don't think about it as much. But, you know, the thing is, like, you do still kind of think about it, though. You know, like I guess you, yeah. probably, you might probably don't because it's less, much, much, much less common there. But yeah, well, I mean, that's we had one of the one of the earliest examples of these very ex- in here in, in Montreal at the Ecole Polytechnique in the in the eighties. We had one of the earliest examples of one of these kinds of like you could describe it as like a sort of proto incel mass shooting thing. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think I think that became something that. Rather than just fading, I don't. I don't. I hate p- 
people in Canada that do this whole like in Canada we take the shit seriously, uh, you know, or like we don't have racism or these problems. Right, like right. I that really bugs me, and I know it, it. You know, it's not accurate, but I do think that is one case where we don't have this fetishization of like gun worship yeah. to the same extent. There are it's some, it's like, but it's a lot more of a minor community than it is with sort of a it's almost a religion in the united states yeah and with the color polytechnic i mean we we all remember that we learn about that when we were kids and you know you, you're taught about it whereas there's just become this constant cycle of violence in america that where it all just kind of fades into this into the background into this into this kind of uh this specter that's just looming over everything and the yeah. specifics all get lost and that is one that is one i think difference between the two the two kind of cultures Oh, for sure. Um, but like, so, so living inside of that, uh, you do sort of check for the exits a little more now, or at least I do. And that's just, like I said, living in Massachusetts, you know, which, uh, you know, like I said, is, is, is comparatively better, not, not as good as Canada, uh, on this issue, but certainly good for the United States. <clears throat> and, you know, people in other states, where, where guns are much more, you know, visible and, and, you know, open carry and things like that. Like, I don't know if I could do that, you know? Like, yeah. it makes me extremely uncomfortable to see someone walking around with a gun. And I think it should. Like, Going think, into Duncan or whatever? Yeah, I think, like, <laughs> it's almost, I almost, I never, like I said, I rarely see it in here. You know, I live, after living in Boston for so long, I live in the, Boston suburbs now, um, but you know when I go uh, to other to other states, you know, and there's someone, it's just common for people to have a gun on them. It's like I don't want to be around somebody with a gun, you know, even if they're a upstanding citizen, you know, even if they're a good guy with a gun. It's just like the you know, it's pretty. It's been clearly proven that even having a gun in your home. Uh, you know, vastly increases the uh, chances that you or someone in your home is going to be it's going to be yeah. used against them. You know, um, so <clears throat> so, the, so the end result is just sort of this blanket that that or, or I don't know. It's like walking around with like a, a heavy backpack on everywhere here. You know, and, and heavier in certain cities and states than others. And uh, you know, meanwhile. The right is, is, you know, paranoid to even go into like the major shopping and entertainment district of the, whatever their closest city is because they are convinced that they're, you know, going to be human it's, traffic. It's or the something. purge, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's the exact other thing that I was talking about. Like, is all this like evidence of the, all these institutions that they worship are so rotten. That's another thing as well. This whole idea of human trafficking and child sex abuse. Uh, it's like they look past. They, you know, they, they don't pay attention to what's going on in the church that they belong to. They don't look right. at how this stuff happens in their own community and people's own families. They look past the ways that often police are like deeply implicated in these kinds of things. Yeah. Um, and then they've created this kind of fictional reality where, you know, you're going to be, yeah, your kids are going to be trafficked in the, in the target parking lot or whatever. Right. There's some kind of like fucked up satanic panic Democrat conspiracy to, to take your kids or whatever. And that's kind of what I'm kind of getting at. It's just like as much evidence as piles up uh, that there's these dangerous kind of systemic trends going on in all these different uh, respects, all these different avenues, they keep 
searching more and more for these totally outlandish fantasy land explanations of it rather than just like like looking directly at this thing and realizing that a lot of it is just a to- an offshoot of the economic system that they themselves like would would die to uphold you know it's and that's yeah. the thing that makes me really cynical because i'm losing a lot of confidence in the idea that oh yeah when things get really bad people are going to be ready for socialism you know it's like i don't i don't necessarily think that's true you know and i think it's a bit scared a bit of a scary thought well that overlaps that idea of when things get really bad like that overlaps with something that i wrote uh, recently about, you know, climate change is that, you know, we got, um, it wasn't as bad as it, it got, I think really bad in New York and Philly and some other places. Um, but we got the smoke, the wildfire smoke here where I yeah. live for like two days once. And then a couple weeks later, and it wasn't that bad. And then a couple weeks later, and I, I like really fucked me up. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I, I, I mean, it's kind of a weird contradiction because I'm a runner who smokes cigarettes. So, you know, obviously <laughs> that's could you know, have contributed a, to it. Yeah, well, it's my own fault for, you know, for smoking. But, you know, like, like I said, I, I run all the time. And so but I just could not, you know, I was like, oh, so this is what it's like. Like, it, it sounds like naive, sort of like, obviously, I knew, you know, heat and floods and storms and all sorts of things are happening at a crazy rate. But when I think about those sorts of things, and this is lying to myself in a way, you know, because we've all been in hurricanes and we've all been in blizzards and and we've all, you know, had high temperatures. It's like, OK, well, there are ways you can, you know, get, you know, get to safety or you can, you know, you can to cool down or to, or to hide from the from the storm for a while. But with the when the whole air everywhere turned sort of poisonous that kind of really made something click into me click in for me you know yeah um like we're not going to be able to escape this shit you know um and you know the thing about like finally thinking oh well certainly someone's gonna you know solve this it's like i think that's another naive belief i had but you know covid really sort of disabused me of that notion like yeah as cynical and as you know, clear-eyed as we can be about how things are, there's probably still something in a lot of us is like, well, somebody's going to, somebody, you know, responsible is going to finally do the right thing, right? Like, do you do you still sort of have that naive belief somewhere inside of you, or is it completely gone? It's mostly gone, and I think the thing that we're going to do is probably, like, block out the sun or something like that, rather than change anything about our lifestyle. Right. <laughs> that's, that's probably, I think, where we're going to end up. I mean, you talk about the wildfire smoke stuff, and that's another exact incident where it's like, surely everyone, no matter what your political beliefs are, they're going to look out the window and be like, oh, shit, like, this is really, like, this is really not good. But I was looking at all this, like, conservative media of these guys being, like, like just showing images of, like, the yellow-tinged air and just the completely fucked-up dystopian apocalyptic scenes outside and being like, you know what, it's kind of nice. It's like it's, a campfire. Yeah, right. And I was like, man, that's, that is grim. Well, <laughs> that's, that's the thing. Up. Like, you can't, they cannot <laughs> let any single one go. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, they have to swing at every single pitch. <laughs> and um, it's like, and I, I, I guess that that's just kind of how it is now. Like, like no matter how vile one of their dudes are, turns out to be now. Like, there's, there's almost no. You cannot admit like one single moment of weakness. You know, like when that stuff about Hanania, or I don't know how to pronounce his name, Hania, or whatever. Yeah. 
came out, like they all lined up to defend him. It's like, why can't you ever just be like, all right, this, this was too bad. much. This was yeah. too much. You know, like I didn't, or like, you know, the dude who posted that absolutely horrific uh, child abuse video on Twitter, and then uh, Elon personally re- reinstated him and paid him for it. Yeah, it's like, why couldn't those people be like, this dude crossed the line? You know, like, yeah, and that's. No, he was just posting that to show how bad it is. Right, right. And somehow it was the the liberals' fault. (laughs) Um, But that's something that we don't do. You know, if somebody really crosses a line on the left, they're like, oh, fuck that dude. You know, get out of here. Um, Not not that that there aren't aren't all sorts of uh, faults with the left and everything. But, yeah, that one, I don't know if that's just like, you know, smart solidarity towing the line that they do or if they just it's all you know a game and they don't really care about any of these issues anyway you know yeah i I mean sometimes it does kind of feel like that definitely um although they do if i think there are a number of true believers uh, in the movement as well um i mean so i want to talk a little bit about your new book uh, a creature wanting form, which I was able to, I, like you sent it to me last night. I wasn't able to read the whole thing, but was able to uh, make it through the first 50 pages or so. And, you know, hell world obviously is a, is a work of nonfiction where you've been talking about, uh, you know, talking about people's lives and talking about the news. And it's basically a sort of form of journalism, but within a kind of interesting sort of prose style to it that I think is connected with people. But this is more of a work of, uh, it's a kind of a collection of short fiction. Like what made you want to, dip your toe into that and start working on on something that was different from what you had been uh, successful with so far well in part because uh and thanks for for uh checking it out um in part because of like you said the way that i write you know my my newsletter my journalism it's always it's sort of you know for lack of a better term sort of poetic in a way you know uh my style even while i'm like reporting on things or or or, yeah. you know, writing about people's lives. Um, and, you know, the, the essays that I write that are most like that have always been the ones that my readers really seem to like the, the best, you know. And a lot of them are about my own life, sort of memoir-y. <clears throat> and uh, so they were already basically not that far off from short stories in the first place. They just happened to be true. And, uh, you know, I went to school to, to study... Uh, poetry and fiction that's kind of embarrassing to say (laughs) um i'm an english lit guy too yeah yeah and i actually went to two years of grad school for it and that was really stupid choice um but so the original thing i wanted to be was like a short story writer and write poems and stuff like that but as bad as it is to make a living as a journalist, it's even then when I was young, I was like, you're not going to make, a, you're not going to get a job as a poet. You know, you better figure out how to write something else. But anyways, long story short, this is basically what I always really wanted to do. And, uh, I started, got back into it over COVID when I was just sitting around with nothing to do. Like I couldn't do much reporting. Uh, so I just had to start, uh, you know, using my imagination and, and uh, and so uh, that's what led to that. And fortunately, you know, a lot of the themes of the, sh- the fiction are, are similar anyways. You know, a lot of stories about 
gun violence and climate change and stuff like that. So it wasn't that much of a stretch. Yeah. And uh, you alluded to this before in your writing, but something that I've always enjoyed about the writing you do, and it's really apparent in this work, is the way that this kind of like humor kind of bubbles to the surface not through like jokes or any kind of like really because they're often talking about very grim or bleak situations but this kind of humor emerges from that uh just in the in the dialogue that takes place in the writing and that's something i think is really an interesting thing they were able to pull off that i think not a lot of other people to do and you know uh america itself uh, is a pretty bleak and grim place but also there's a sort of beauty that emerges from that sometimes and i think that's kind of something that uh, you can see in, in your, the writing that you do, and it's really obvious in this uh, in this new book. Well, thank you. That's a very nice compliment. Uh, I mean, I, I was, you know, it, it, I, I've said this line before, but like some of the stories, they probably, you know, they seem like they're George Saunders type of stories, but I'm really, you know, uh, I, one of my biggest influences ever when I first, you know, was a young, serious literary man, was uh, Donald Bartlemy, and he, you know, who who is also an influence on George Saunders, and his stories are so funny, but they're extremely subtle and matter of fact in their humor, and it's, uh, you know, that was something that I you know, really was a big, uh, you know, sort of guiding light for the, the the ways that I tried to make my, you know, sneak humor into uh, situations that are otherwise you know, it would be terrifying if you just described them uh, on their face, you know? Yeah. Um, well, if you thought that was a really nice compliment, the other note that I had here, I don't know how this is going to go over. The other note that I that I took when I was reading this stuff is uh, Cormac McCarthy with internet brain damage. Does that, <laughs> that, does that do anything for you? That's, no, that works for me. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, very, I mean, some of the language is very stark. I mean, obviously, I don't want anyone to get the impression that I'm, you know, think I'm, uh, I'm just, you know, comparing myself to Cormac McCarthy or whatever, but, um, but yeah, that's another, I, I'll, I'll take yeah. that. I'll take that as a compliment. Yeah. Well, just in terms of the minimalism, the lack of punctuation and For the sure. kind of like that, that kind of a, the stylistic For sure. elements. It's, su- it, it's super awkward to like, it's so hard to talk about your writing, uh, without sounding like a complete yeah. head, you know? So there's like some sort of, uh, stop gap going on in my brain, like you know, making me super uh, uh, not don't want to sound like a pretentious douche. Sure. Yeah. Um, but no, that's another great compliment, and I think um, you know, if any, if if anyone has read any of my stuff and they like the the this sort of prose style, that you, you'll certainly like these these stories. Cool. Well, do you want to just let people know where they can get this new book and sure, where they can I mean, find your uh, the rest of your work? Yeah, you can find me at welcometohellworld.com. It's my newsletter. Uh, goes out a couple times a week. And, uh, you know, the book, A Creature Wanting Form, it's, it's out via OR Books. Uh, but you can, you know, wherever you get books online, you can probably order it, preferably from a from an independent uh, bookstore if you can. But if not, you know, you can go to the, the behemoth and get it there, too. Hell Yeah. And you're obviously on posting on X.com still. You're on Blue Sky. I think you're on Blue Sky as well. Yeah, right? I am on Blue Sky. And it's interesting. It's, um, you know, Luke O'Neill, uh, 47 on, on Twitter. On, I'm not going to call it X. Yeah, on, I know. I was, I was saying Sky it tongue in cheek. Uh, so stupid. Uh, it is very stupid. Yeah, Luke O'Neill, 47. Uh, I really like Blue Sky. Um, 
Like, I tried Mastodon. I couldn't really get into it. Uh, the Substack one seemed dead on arrival. Um, and uh, it's it feels fun. Like, you know, I have like a tenth of the followers that I had on, on Twitter, but it's almost better that way, you know, because I can just toss off some goofy joke or thought and not have to worry that it's going to, like, pick up steam and all of a sudden I'm going to have people telling me to kill myself, you know? Yeah, yeah. Are you are you having fun on it? I, I'm I have a hard time. I think just like overall, you know, I spend so much having time fun. like now talking about uh, stuff. Like I'm I'm live streaming for like four, five, six hours a day. It's like my brain is like empty when I go to sit down and like do a post, you know. And then I have to right. think about it. I've got a post on this network and this network. And I do appreciate the sort of different vibe and a little bit more positivity and just a little bit less maybe of the toxicity so far. But I also just can't tear myself away from Twitter. I don't know. I just have this no matter how bad it gets. And I was actually a little bit cynical when when Elon was taking over. Like, how bad is it really going to be? Like, there's already annoying libertarian tech dipshits that own the platform now. Is it really going to be worse? But. I've been it, quite surprised at how much worse it has gotten. I cannot I believe can't how much. Yeah. yeah, I cannot believe how much worse it's gotten, and I also cannot believe how hard it is to kill. Like, yeah. what more could this dude possibly <laughs> do to get us all to leave? You know, yeah. like what? What would it take? I I don't know. Like I, I don't know. I guess we'll find out because he's going to do it. So what? Um, what? Like, where do you come down on this idea of like? Because some people are like, no, he's he's engaging in this like very. Uh, kind of almost Bond villain idea of digital vandalism and he wants to destroy the ability to organize and things like yeah. that. Or is he just this dumbass that thought he knew what to do to make it better and, and had a bunch of billions of dollars to blow? Or is it somewhere in between those two things? Like, where do you I come mean, down on that? I think he's just a flailing dumbass who has no idea what he's doing. Now, are, are some of the people that, you know, bankrolled him a little bit, did they have more nefarious uh you know designs sure maybe um but i don't think i think he's just a terminal a terminally corny dude who you know no one has ever laughed at a joke he's ever said that he wasn't paying and he's just desperately flailing to and like he found out early on like and i don't really want to talk about elon too much but you know wasn't he kind of like a basic sort of liberal when we first yeah, all knew I think him. so yeah i mean he was and like a the, liberal hero for yeah there's a then, big marketing campaign to promote him like that for years right and then yeah like hollywood celebs loved him that kind of liberal you know like a like a jordan uh liberal you know um yeah. and um uh now that he's moved to california i mean um but then he found out that the only people that were really liking him were these weird sort of tech freaks like right-wing, you know, libertarian types. And I think he's like, oh, these are the people that like me. I'm going to try to make them happy, you know, because finally he was getting, <clears throat> you know, getting yeah. getting the laughs that he had, had been denied. Yeah, well, I guess there is something kind of humanizing about seeing this powerful person with all that kind of social capital built up, have his brain broken by online bullshit like everyone yeah. else. Yeah, I got um, my brain broken and absolutely. I didn't even get a billion dollars. No, I didn't even come close to that, unfortunately. <laughs> um, anyway, he's, he's, not, he's as much of a piece of shit that I'm actually rooting for Mark Zuckerberg to kick his I ass. Know. That's how grim things have gotten. It's, uh, <laughs> you know, Zuckerberg has is, is, uh, done a lot more material harm in the world, but Elon is more annoying to me personally. Yeah. Um, 
it's kind of like a Bush versus Trump scenario. You sure, know, yeah. it's like obviously Bush was the worst president, but I hate Trump more just because I irritates the shit out of me. Yep. Yeah, just take off and nuke the entire site from orbit. <laughs> exactly. Meta- metaphorically, of course. Right, right. Anyways, Luke, I, I appreciate you. Thanks for the conversation. Always hey, happy to you. read your writing uh, online or on Hell World or in this new book. Wherever it is, I, I enjoy it. So well, thanks, thanks buddy. Nice talking to you. Yeah, take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Insurgents. Please remember to subscribe over at theinsurgents.substack.com. Find the podcast on all your favorite podcast apps, and please remember to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It's very helpful, and we appreciate it a lot. But please, again, don't mention Ken Klippenstein in the review. He is banned from the show. It's a lifetime ban, so please do not mention him in the review. And we'll be back later this week with more of the content that you know and love. Goodbye.